The Hugh Freeze era has officially begun in Auburn, and boy, hope is back on the plane. Freezing temperatures are likely for several hours inland and a few hours closer to the coast. Yes. You are Locked On Auburn, your daily podcast on the Auburn Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on into Locked On Auburn, your daily Auburn Tigers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Blackerby. Thank you so much for making Locked On Auburn your first listen every single day on this special Sunday edition of Locked On Auburn, the morning after. Daryl Dapperish joining me. And man, it's fun to react as Auburn just pummels, pummels UMass, the Massachusetts Minutemen. It wasn't really ever competitive after each team had the ball once. It was all Auburn after that, Daryl. And to me, the big takeaway here was Auburn did something where they lived up to the hype. And yes, it's UMass, sure. But what did we hear all week, Daryl? It was, there's no way Auburn covers that 35-point spread. There's no way Auburn could possibly look crisp enough over a team that already went on the road and beat somebody else they weren't supposed to. There's no way any of this could happen. I said it was going to happen all last week, and, and we were correct here on Locked on Auburn. And I just think when you look at, okay, Auburn showed up. They took care of business. It was a sold-out crowd. Everybody wore white, and everybody was all about that. And just everything seems bought in in front of a sellout. And folks did what they were supposed to do, Daryl, and they executed. And they scored a ton of points. And none of it was fluky. They just lined up and played football. And this is what Auburn football is supposed to be. They were significantly better than UMass, and I think they'll be significantly better than several other teams they played this year if they do what they did on Saturday. You know, it, it's not too often that all the hype and all the excitement and the build-up anticipation, all that stuff that was, you know, you, you, you felt it building for the last couple of weeks as the Hugh Freeze era was about to come right. onto the planes. And so you, you don't want to have any kind of letdown where it's a game that's kind of boring or Auburn doesn't do what they're supposed to do. You wanted to live up to the hype. And so it was a rare occurrence where Auburn did exactly what they were supposed to do, what everyone's expected of them. Everyone went in with kind of a, a thought or a storyline or a script that they'd like to see accomplished. And mm -hmm. I think for the most part, that happened. I got over there pretty early this morning, and I got to say, it was electric. I've been to a lot of Auburn games, but the feeling that you mentioned of hope and excitement and just re renewal, all, it was just a great, great atmosphere I know it's a home opener, but against an opponent that's lesser than. And really, the the game itself and the excitement level stayed at a certain pitch throughout the whole game. So that was that was really neat to see. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, you touched on it, nailed it. Auburn did what they were supposed to do. There's a couple of questions we'll get into. I think they need to be answered, you know, game two, game three. Yes. But what we came to see, we saw. And I think that's really encouraging. Yeah, I mean, the, the expectation wasn't perfection. The expectation was destroy UMass. And they did it. They did it. 59 to 14, covering that 35 and a half point spread. That's, that's enough. That's enough. And I just think when you look at what Auburn is capable of, now that we trust this coaching staff and improvement is expected up until this point, I think Auburn's going to be fine moving forward. And I think Cal is certainly beatable. And we'll talk more about that matchup over the course of the week. 
Let's talk quarterbacks, Daryl. That first drive, led by Peyton Thorne, was just about close to perfect. It was just about close to perfect. And there were moments where Damari Austin really put the offense on his back. There was a third and two situation where Damari Austin was tackled in the backfield, or he should have been tackled in the backfield. And he said, no, 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 I'm a grown man. I'm going to get the first down. And he did. And then he ultimately ended up getting that first touchdown of the season, I believe two plays later. But the tempo I thought was good. The accuracy I thought was good. Peyton wasn't perfect. No, no, I don't think anybody was necessarily perfect on Saturday, but I just, that first series really stuck with me. It's like, oh, this is what we can be this year. And I thought that was refreshing. Well, look, it was surgical. I mean, it was so precise in what they wanted to do. And, you know, we've seen Auburn come out against opponents that were completely overmatched and not look that good, look sloppy yeah. in certain areas. So they threw the ball or they completed one pass on that drive. And it was early on. It was that screen pass that or that, that, that uh, Thorne threw. But other than that, they just ran it right down UMass's throat like we thought they would and give Thorne credit on that drive. He used his legs a couple times to pick up first downs. But Austin was a beast. He ran the ball really, really well. The offensive line. What that did to me was kind of set the tone and let UMass know what what kind of day it was going to be and just absolutely manhandled their defensive front and did what they were supposed to do ran it down their throat established some things kind of kind of made a, a statement and then were able to go back in other drives and play off that and and use different variations formations and look for a little more balance yeah Damari Austin he had eight carries for 43 yards that's over a five yard per carry average you certainly take that. Uh, and, of course, he had that touchdown. Auburn, 289 yards on the ground across seven rushers. That's that's exciting. That's certainly exciting. The balance of the quarterbacks, which is an interesting thing that we get to talk about, and I think we'll talk about it a lot this year. And we talked about it last year, too, when it was T.J. Finley and Robbie Ashford. The, the rhythm didn't make sense. The rhythm between Peyton Thorne being pulled for Robbie Ashford, specifically in the red zone, it made perfect sense, Daryl. I mean, it was poetry. And and I don't normally like the two-quarterback system, but I think what we saw on Saturday was kind of what we all envisioned. I, I said it over and over and over again. I love the idea of a Robbie Ashford package in the red zone. And Auburn Twitter kind of ran with the moniker of um, Red Zone Robbie, which I am 100% okay with. He had three touchdowns on the ground, all from the red zone. And it worked, Daryl. I don't think there's any question about it. Red Zone Robbie absolutely worked on Saturday. Yeah, it didn't disrupt flow. I think that's a key point. I think that's something that you talked about last year. It happened. It just didn't seem yeah. like it was the right time to do it. This just really seemed right. It it flowed. It just, you know, you just knew that it was going to work. And I'm going to tell you, as early, I know it's early, but when they were running some of those quarterback reads and and Robbie would go around left end, it was untouched. I mean, and I and I get it against SEC defenses, that's going to be yeah. more difficult. But what it does is it puts something on film for defensive coordinators to have to worry about. And again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They didn't show a throwing off of that package or, you know, where he rolls out and then he throws, he just tucked it and ran. So there's a lot of different wrinkles that you could use off of that 
um, formation and off those run sets and that kind of thing. But I, it, it didn't seem, it didn't seem forced. It didn't seem, uh, or didn't seem like out of place. Didn't disrupt flow. It really worked, and I think it really kept everybody engaged. And that's what I liked about it. Well, it seems like they threw twice out of, or they called two passing plays out of it. One was a quick throw to the outside, and then the other ended up being a touchdown run. But it looked like it was a called rollout. That was a pass, and he, he just tucked it and ran, and he, he scored. It was the right call, certainly. But then it was interesting. Once Auburn was up a lot, they pulled Peyton, and they put Robbie with the ones, and he ran an offense. And the running game was certainly there. That's when Jeremiah Cobb busted a huge run, which is very, very exciting for the future. But the passing game with Robbie in, it didn't, it didn't look good. It didn't look the same. And that's to be expected. That is not his strength. And that's okay. Robbie was, let's see, Peyton was 10 of 17 passing. That's 59%. Robbie was 2 of 6 passing, just 33%. And then Holden Gurner was 2 of 2 passing, which is obviously 100%. So everybody's got different roles. Also, Robbie, when he's asked to pass, it's not the same situation as Peyton. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you can't really compare him. Can't really compare him. I'm just giving you what the numbers are. But Robbie, from a rushing standpoint, nine carries for 51 yards, three touchdowns. You certainly take that. And I got a feeling. That's going to be a pretty normal stat line for Robbie Ashford this year, if I had to guess. Well, Hugh Freeze said it in his post-game press conference. Somebody asked him, and he said, I've been saying it all year, and I don't know how many other ways I could say it to try to get you guys to understand that I mean it. He's vital. Robbie Ashford is vital for us to win football games. And he sure. also said there were a lot of things they didn't show with him, which is very interesting um, to, to see uh, what kind of packages and that. And look, we there were a lot of people, let's just call spade a spade, in on Twitter, in comments here, in all kind of all kind of different venues and media platforms that really didn't like the idea of Robbie Ashford getting packages. I even saw some people on social media today going, well, let Peyton Thorne, I mean, I'm, con you know, I'm concerned. We got to have Peyton in to in the red zone. We got to see if he can do it. Look, the bottom line is you score touchdowns. I don't care how you do it. I don't care how you do it. It doesn't matter if that's the most effective way to get in the end zone. I trust this coaching staff to do it. Of course, Peyton Thorne can get us in the end zone. He showed it on that beautiful pass to Jay Fair. Right. But if this is more effective and this keeps the defense on their heels and, and keeps defensive coordinators up nights, then you do it until it doesn't work anymore. You do it until somebody stops it. I don't know how many touches Robbie got before he – before Peyton Thorne got pulled and he really went in in a backup role, mm -hmm. but I think it was ten to fifteen. I mean, I you know I, I think it was kind of what we predicted. I don't. I mean, I saw him that that first drive. He threw it. He threw a screen pass that would have had him a first and goal inside the five. And Fairweather got caught I don't, I don't on think a hold. It was that high. So he ended the game with nine rushes and six passes. So I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know if it was that high, but it was certainly part of it. And he. The downs are important, right? Like the red zone's the most important. Well, that's part a, of the I guess offense. I'm saying how many yeah, I guess I I'm saying how many downs, you know, too sure. when he handed the ball off and that kind of thing. Sure. But you're right. I mean, he there were some plays specifically designed for him, and then a couple plays came back on penalty. So that comes off of your total plays, you know, rushing totals or or throwing totals as well. I think that they used him effectively and efficiently. And for people that are upset that he's being used in packages and think that it disrupts flow, I, I just trust what the coaching staff does because it really adds a, a different wrinkle and dimension. A few things about the offense. We'll kind of zoom away from quarterbacks and talk about the offense and then defense uh, in just a moment. 
Daryl, today's show is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. You have the Game Time app. I have the Game Time app. Actually, bought Patriot Saints tickets via the Game Time app last week. Very, very excited about that game. But look, it, buying tickets, you're buying something that's fun, right? You're looking forward to whether it's a sporting event or theater, music, whatever. They've got all sorts of things, different types of tickets at Game Time. It's not just sports, um, but it's stuff you look forward to. It's stuff that's supposed to be fun. You don't need to be stressing out about it. In game time, they do all the price checking for you. You don't have to hop around. Don't make the same mistake I did. I tried to beat it. I couldn't. I certainly could not do it. So download the game time app. It's the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. You can just download the app. They've got you covered. Also, a cool feature is you get images of the venue from your seat in the app, so you can kind of see, like, okay, this is actually what it's going to look like from my vantage point. It's worth it. So, snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem with code Locked On College, all one word for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Daryl Daprich, let's talk about the offense. A few guys really stood out to me. Won the entire running game. Looked outstanding. Because the offensive line passed the eye test. Yes, it's UMass. They'll get a bigger challenge when they go on the road to Cal. They'll get a bigger challenge in several weeks when they go to Texas A&M and host Georgia and all that. There's only so much they could prove to us on Saturday because it was UMass, and I just wasn't impressed with their defensive front seven going into the game. I'm certainly not impressed with their defensive front seven now. But from an eye test, the offensive line was spectacular. It was incredible. And everything that we've heard about this offensive line, everything we hope this offensive line could be, up to this point, they've done it. They've executed. And also just need to point out that they went with the offensive line grouping to start the game with the Xavion Miller at right tackle, moved, uh, moved uh, Britain uh, to left guard. And, and I just think that this lineup is um, thought it was a tad risky, not going with Jeremiah Wright to start. But holy cow, um, they looked great. I thought they looked really, really good, Daryl. The insight on that and some some information that is really interesting that we got in the post-game press conference, Hugh Freeze was very, very transparent about the number of combinations they used on the offensive line and that mm -hmm. Gunnar Britton actually, I think he said, played three different positions three. today. Yeah. And he enables him do, doing that, Hugh Freeze said, they want to go fast. They want to go warp speed. They want to go really, really fast. And he said the only way to go that fast is to keep people fresh. And the only way to keep people fresh is to rotate offensive linemen. And Gunnar Brenton, he said, is the key to that. Playing multiple positions allows them to use different lineups and keep everybody fresh. I thought that was very telling. Yeah. And I and I get that. I understand that 
there there's so many times he said they snapped the ball with 30 31 seconds left on the play clock that's going to wear defenses down it also rears offensive linemen down if you don't rotate people so again the cog the key in this is gunner brinton being able to slide over and play to different positions insert different offensive linemen to keep people fresh to go faster yeah. and so we saw that that's why that's why it didn't seem it was very strange to me zach to watch two or three different combinations of offensive linemen and not see a drop-off. You typically see a drop-off. You do. You go, well, this guy's getting a rest or they're getting they're building depth or whatever mm -hmm. you want to say. Uh-uh. This fine. was like a substitution pattern in basketball where you play eight dudes and there's no drop-off when subs go in. That is special and that is big coming down the stretch. Yeah, and I think that's got to help with recruiting down the stretch too where it's like, okay, you may not start, but you're going to play because we play eight offensive linemen. That, yes. that, that's interesting. Curious to see if that's a trend all season long. We'll, uh, we'll have to see. But as far as the offensive line, like I said, the rushing game was spectacular. 289 yards total on the ground. From a receiving standpoint, Jay Fair looked great. Five catches, 56 yards. Malcolm Johnson Jr., oddly enough, uh, in his two catches with the third-team group with Holden Gurner throwing the ball. Um, led Auburn in receiving yards with 59. So good for Malcolm Johnson Jr. Curious to see if, if that uh, gives him maybe an extra look. Every time I watched him during fall camp, I thought Malcolm looked great. So curious to see what happens with him. Javaris Johnson uh, was targeted three times and he got three catches, which is exactly what you want. Made from a, a, yeah, yeah. Made a uh, real nice catch down the uh, along beautiful. the sideline that was big. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, Shane Hooks. Targeted six times, had two catches for 41 yards. That was big. Coy Moore had a big snag for 33 yards. The thing that stood out to me was uh, no Rivaldo Fairweather. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's my biggest takeaway. Two takeaways. Positive takeaway. I saw a route tree. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I I I looked at it and I looked at it three times and I couldn't believe my eyes. On on two consecutive drives, Auburn threw a slant, a back shoulder fade, and they threw the ball down the middle of the field. And I was like, up the you know up the seam, and I was like, this is what everyone has been screaming for right. for years. And it was it was diverse, and all, you know they they were getting guys open. But even when they weren't open, I gotta say, Thorne threw a couple balls where he threw receivers open, and uh, you know a back shoulder throw that kind of thing. So uh, missed on a target, to, no tight no tight ends with the reception, I believe, and that that bothered me a little bit. I thought Fairweather would be a bigger factor in the red zone so my concern and I, i'm not a coach so i you know i'm not questioning the coaching staff but fairweather came out of the game in the red zone a lot of times mm. they did a substitution package where he came out and that was like mm, he's a big weapon there was a play that would have gone for six a throw to Fromm. i can't tell if Fromm ran the wrong route Thorne threw him to the pylon, and Fromm kind of went up the middle, but he was wide open. Would have it, it been six. It looked like a flag. It looked like an outbreaking route, and Fromm was looking inside. I've never seen that before. So, and, and that, yeah, he if he looks the right way and turns his shoulders when the ball gets released, he yeah. scores. Mm -hmm. So that was a little misconnect. And then there was a receiver up the seam that was wide open, and 
Um, Thorne tried to force it to Brown, and when Thorne went to the sideline, Hugh Freeze absolutely went ballistic. I mean, it got in him pretty good because he made the wrong read, and he said in his post-game press conference, he was very honest, he said he made three poor decisions. Uh, and then one time a guy got held and couldn't get separation and the ball went out of bounds, but I think it would have been a good throw. So th sure. those were the only little things, not to be nitpicky, but I'd like to see the tight end used more and Fairweather especially. I mean, I just there's so much potential and hype and weaponry there. I want to see it utilized. Yeah, that's really the only part that I don't think lived up to the hype was Rivaldo, which is a shame. I don't think that's on Rivaldo. I, I think that's on either the game plan or the scheme. So... We'll see if that changes over the course of the next few weeks. Let's talk defense. My guy, really two of my guys, I thought looked incredible on Saturday. We touch on that next right here on Locked on Auburn. I want to encourage you to join the Locked on Auburn Discord. It's free. All you have to do is click the link in the episode description down below. Daryl, Eugene Asante hmm. and Jalen Simpson to me, both of those guys absolutely stole the show. We'll start with Jalen Simpson because he got the pick six, and that's really kind of what I was like, okay, Auburn may actually cover this thing, which is exciting. Uh, 50, a 50-yard pick six, I believe is what it was. And, I mean, he was in position. DJ James would have had one, but he dropped it. It slipped through his fingers. But Jalen also, I think, was pretty relevant. You know, in this Ron Roberts defense, they're going to send guys. And Jalen Simpson, whenever he was close to the line of scrimmage, it seemed like he was always kind of around and, and relevant and the offense had to know where Jalen Simpson was. So I thought that was encouraging. And then Eugene Asante fearless at the linebacker position. And this is a guy that I'm really, really proud of. This is a guy I'm really, really happy for. He's been through a lot, but Eugene Asante is a dude who kept battling throughout spring. And then in the fall and all of a sudden he's getting these relevant snaps at starting linebacker with the defensive group. And he was a force. They had a hard time having an answer consistently for Eugene Asante. Yeah, I, I also, you know, early on, the defense, that first drive, I think we talked about some things that we thought we were going to see. I was concerned with the way they were not stopping the run, especially on the edge. Keep in mind, Pritchett didn't play, either mm -hmm. did McLeod. And I think those are two big, big keys in tackling and setting the edge and that kind of thing. So, sure. Um, I was a little bit concerned with that, but they seemed to get that cleaned up and kind of got that corrected. They also had a hard time on the uh, RPO slants that U UMass was running. They they adjusted, give Ron Roberts credit. But here's the thing. Me and you did a show where we talked about who could be the leading sack guy on the team. And I even said, you know, look, Ron Roberts' defense, he brings safeties. He brings – and I want to mention Donovan Kaufman. He, he had, had a, a really – he had a strip sack fumble. He had another sack. He was in the backfield consistently, just a tick late on a couple. Keontae Scott played really well, too. Keontae Scott is who blew up Pumachon, who threw the interception to Jalen Simpson because he couldn't get his legs into the throw because mm -hmm. Scott lit him up. So, yeah, I mean, Asante, I was so excited for him the way he played. McAllister getting his first sack. I think Auburn had three or four sacks, which I was glad. They collapsed the pocket. Later, you know, from the second quarter on, did a good job. Um, but secondary, you're right. I mean, Asante and Simpson, Kaufman coming from the edge and, and, and you know, safety blitzes was good. Loved seeing McAllister get a sack. A yeah. lot of positives on the defensive side. Again, without Pritchett and without McLeod, who I think shore up that defense. Yeah, three sacks for the defense. Eugene Asante and Keldrick Falk were both credited with a half sack. 
Marcus Harris got a sack, then Elijah McAllister, like you said, got the first sack of his collegiate career, which is uh, which is great. Then six hurries. Uh, Keontae Scott was registered with a hurry. Kay and Lee with a hurry, which is awesome. The corners are blitzing. I love it. Uh, Cam Riley with a quarterback hurry. Wesley Steiner, Jason Jones, Steven Sings were, were the players credited with one quarterback hurry, which is exceptional. Eugene Asante led the team with six tackles, according to Auburn stats. And I think that's just, I'm just, once again, Daryl, I'm so, so happy for him. But there's a lot to celebrate, and we talked about how the offense missed. I think if Pumachan, who appeared somewhat shaken up after that first series, I think if he's healthy, he I, I think this defense struggles a little bit more. I'm not sold on this defense yet, Daryl. And, and it's great that the starters really only gave up that first drive and they adjusted they're just so much physically better than UMass. In that first drive, they just attacked the edges over and over and over again. And then UMass after that wasn't really able to do that. And I think against the Cal, who ended up scoring 58 points against the North Texas team, I think the defense is going to be more of a concern next week. That's just my gut feeling after watching the game and reacting to it. And we'll do a rewatch on Sunday. Well, I'll talk more about my thoughts on Monday with Lindsay tomorrow, Daryl. But right now, I'm not sold that the defense is going to be a strength of this team right now. No, I'm not sold either. I'm not as concerned as I might be. And yet, without, like I said, without McLeod sure. and Pritchett. McLeod is a guy that can set the edge for you and can 100%. do a lot of things. And then Pritchett is an NFL player next year. He's going to get drafted in the league. So when you take two guys like that off the defense, then then I want to see when they're healthy and they're playing what the difference is. Yeah. Um. You know. I. But I. I can see it. I mean, I was very, pretty, a little bit disappointed with that first drive because it looked a lot like a day. You know, running backs bouncing outside, missed tackles, uh, second chance. You know, breaking right. tackles, second chance plays, that kind of thing. So I agree. I. I think. Remember, Cal had a running back, I think, go for over 200 uh, last night, and and that's big. So Auburn's going to have to do a really good job containing him. But I think it's my understanding that Cal lost its quarterback on its second his second series with a shoulder injury. So we'll see if he's going to be able to go next week as well. Yeah, I mean, all that's certainly, certainly important. Any other takeaways from the game, Daryl, or the press conference before we wrap up today? I was very impressed with special teams. Underrated aspect of Great football that teams that people forget about. McPherson was perfect. His kickoffs were deep. Yeah. Chapman had a couple of booming punts. And, and the return game was dynamic. Batiste yeah. set the tone by fielding the ball in the end zone five yards deep and taking it to the 38. And then the punt return by Keontae Scott in the first half, dynamic. So special yeah. teams, you're going to need that to win games. Sometimes it could be the difference. Underrated, won't get a lot of publicity, but I was very impressed with that. Press conference, you Freeze said something to me that really stood out. He said, you know, in games like this, we could have had as much balance as we wanted to. We really could have done whatever we wanted. He was very honest about that. And he said, I held back a lot of things tonight. Didn't show a lot of things in receiving sets and that kind of thing. And he said, you know, we were going to go on the road on the West Coast, but he said there's a lot of things that I just didn't. And he also specifically to a question that I asked, I asked him if he was talking about shortening the game, if that was a byproduct of being concerned about his run defense. And he said it was, 
but he slowed it down on purpose in the second half because he's got to think of the whole team and the betterment of the whole squad, not just his offense. Thought mm. that was telling. And I think that, and he said, but we will get that adjusted to where we will continue to go fast and faster as the season goes on. Yeah, I was watching the game with a group of people and they were surprised Excuse that me. the offense was still trying to score. And I'm like, no, they're, they're trying to see what they got. I mean, they're still trying to run their offense. And Robbie got some really valuable snaps with the ones that you can't replicate in practice against a team that's not wearing the same color jersey as you. And then obviously Holden Garner, who looked great. I mean, he only threw the ball twice, but he was spectacular when he targeted Malcolm Johnson Jr. both of those times. And so I think they learned a lot more about the offense with that. But still, once again, like, I need to see more out of the defense to feel better about it so far. But as far as what we saw from Cal, I I only saw highlights. I will aim to watch the Cal North Texas game before we record Monday's show and Lindsay and I will talk about it. But I think Auburn should be favored in this game. I don't think Cal is very good. And and I think Auburn is going to be able to score a bunch of points. They've just got to stop Cal a few times. I think that's really what it's going to come down to. And remember, this North Texas team is missing some key players that are on Auburn's roster. I mean, you know, North Texas might have been a little bit better and put up a little even more of a fight if Shorter was on there and Larry Nixon. So, you know, they lost some dudes, and so that's going to be a different situation when you talk about what roster they have. Um, I think anytime you go on the West Coast, and Cal does look like they're a little bit dangerous offensively, is that because they played North Texas? What are they going to do against an SEC defense? But if Cal comes into that game next Saturday, Zach, one-dimensional, meaning the backup quarterback, Finley, can't throw it downfield and they rely on that kid that rushed for over 200 yards, then Auburn's going to, I think, defensively give them fits because anytime you go one-dimensional, and then let's see if Pritchett and McLeod play. Special teams will be a big thing. I don't think Cal's defense is going to have an answer for Robbie Ashford packages either. I, so. I don't either. I, I don't know if a lot of teams will, Daryl. I mean, it was, I mean, it, it looked spectacular. Robbie did a great job. Hats off to him for fighting, um, fighting through and getting those reps and making the most of it. It looked like he was super happy and having fun. So, congrats, uh, congrats to Robbie Ashford. That's awesome. That's awesome. Daryl, how can people check out everything you've got going on, buddy? DAP6410. Follow me on Twitter. Had a great time interacting today with a lot of Auburn fans. And then Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon, I'm on the Auburn Network. And Friday uh, Friday shows, always with my man Zach Blackerby on Locked That's on right. Auburn. That's right. Daryl with us through the season, Fridays and Sundays. So, hey, we'll, we'll be back tomorrow. Lindsey Crosby will join me. In the meantime, check out all of our written work at auburndaily.com. We will see you tomorrow. This has been Locked on Auburn.